Give it up, baby. I've studied all your moves. Yeah, study this! What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Forbidden Technique podcast on the Fight Site Podcast Network with myself, your host, Silas Mine, and my co-host, as always, Christian Reynolds. And uh, may I say, Christian, first and foremost, well done, us. Yep. Because we've had some, maybe some slightly wacky picks in the time we've been doing this podcast, and it's just uh, feels good to, two weeks in a row now, have a main event involving one of our guys and a pick that we were extremely confident in that we were actually kind of invested in that worked out perfectly. So let's get straight into USC 274. Charles Oliveira defeats Justin Gaethje by round one submission. And holy fuck, what a fight, what a performance. The Oliveira continues, except not really because he missed weight, but also that was fucky and no one cares. Everybody knows Charlie Olives is the fucking man. And this was maybe the greatest one-round fight of all time. You agree, Christian? What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I'll admit I'm pretty biased, but I think it's one of the best fights I've ever seen. It was like four minutes, or less than four minutes. Three minutes, 22. Yeah, and there was three knockdowns and a finish uh, between like two people that we knew were going to have an action fight. And also, just the pace of the card made the fight like have a really substantial moment if you're watching it live because there was a terrible fight right before it, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, but then it was just an insane one round, like action brawl. And also there's a lot of tactical stuff to get into. Like the fact that Charles was doing really well to defend the leg kicks, which is something that could have been a bit of a worry. Uh, Charles has good. He has like a, a good leg kick defense in theory, but he hasn't had to flex that skill set much. It's just kind of like been visible, like the, you know, the way he le- keeps his lead leg, uh, like his shot selection, the way he teeps a lot, uh, the fact that he's just a takedown threat. So a lot of people are going to be scared to low kick. Very hard to kick Charles Oliveira, even when he's not being that active with his defense, just because, like you say, there's the takedown threat and he's good at countering kicks with shots. And um, the fact that even if he eats a kick, he will just fucking blast you uh, while you're trying to recover your stance which is something that he hurt Gaethje with multiple times, even when he was uh, eating clean low kicks. Yeah, and if you're low kicking Charles, then you, you're running the risk of getting taken down, which Gaethje, we weren't expecting him to have a problem with that. Like, he, he's, he kicked Khabib a lot. That was like most of his offense was low kicks. So I was sure he was going to go for it in this matchup and not be too tentative about it. But Charles is also able to just fuck you up, as you said. Uh, if you get a little too aggressive with low kicks and aren't able to like off put him with them, and then for the the punch exchanges, Charles looked like pretty good whenever he could catch Gaethje in transition. But anytime they were in the actual like in an exchange where both were throwing, it was typically Gaethje hurting Charles as Charles was just beaten to the punch. So Charles got hurt really bad once, and then kind of dinged with an uppercut early. So the, the time he got actually hurt, though, uh, they were both throwing a right hook, and Gaethje's landed first. Then Charles went to throw a, uh, like a teep, and then 
recognized, oh shit, my legs are not under me. So he just kind of sat to his ass. He wasn't necessarily dropped that time, but he definitely got hurt more than he did the first time he got knocked down. So then Charles got up and Gaethje seemed to kind of worry about getting too aggressive. So there was like 10 seconds. It was the, the, the only 10 seconds of the fight that no one threw anything. And Charles started winning the low kick battle. Then once Charles had his feet back under him fully, he started just walking forward and like breaking into the clinch and then grabbing knees and trying to push Gaethje's head down. He, he went for a snap down multiple times throughout the fight. Uh, he, he just kind of kept all forms of clinch offense open. He was really working on Gaethje the way that he would dip a lot. So he would faint something and then get Gaethje dipping and then throw a knee and then frame into the clinch and try an uppercut or throw an uppercut into a knee. Just a very tight shot selection. You could tell Charles has been watching a lot of J-Kick. Yeah, I thought uh, Justin Gaethje did a really good job of just handling the directionality of this matchup and not pressuring too aggressively to where he was going to be having to deal with Charles Oliveira's reactive shots. Um, but also not just sprinting backwards like he was against Khabib. Uh, he was doing a really good job of um, sort of something I put out there similarly to in the Tony Ferguson fight, just drawing Charles Oliveira into exchanges and then extending the exchanges to find those big counters. Um, but he got really, uh, really pretty wild when uh, he had Charles hurt. Like there's a point where he overthrows a left hook so hard that he like absolutely flies off balance and falls on his face. And um, as we said, Charles Oliveira, he's just so hard to finish by knockout if you're not willing to go to the ground with him. And even then, um, you know how how many people in this division are there who can actually like capitalize on those moments and hang with him for extended grappling exchanges. And the thing with Charles Oliveira just being a fighter who was kind of just like completely uh, min-maxed his skill set for offense, uh, kind of with the drawback of having not fantastic defense and not having a particularly coherent game off the back foot. Um, but sometimes, it's a cliche, but sometimes the best defense is a good offense, which is something that we will get to in the co-main event. But yeah, as well as uh, Charles Oliveira just being like the most dynamic, multi-layered offensive threat we've ever seen in the sport of MMA, he's also just supremely dangerous in transitions. And yeah, in that finishing sequence <clears throat> where they kind of punch into the clinch and have a little exchange there, and as Justin Gaethje dis- disengage it, disengages, he just takes a big step back out of the pocket and just gets clocked by a beautiful straight right hand down the middle as he's uh, just stepping back on one leg and uh, as soon as it was on the ground I was like oh Charles has won yeah I, I, I thought Gaethje did a decent job to like defend the you know the Charles was doing a switch up from taking his back then switching it to the arm and then going inverted triangle when it got a little too high and then Gaethje turned out of that but of course a uh, lifelong wrestler his instinct was to get to his knees and stand up rather than like regarding or anything. He's, you can't do that against Charles Oliveira. He's going to take you back immediately. And watching Charles Oliveira take the back is just a thing of beauty. Like the back take and cinching up the uh, body triangle and rear naked choke grip is just like one completely seamless movement. It was perfect. Yeah. Anyone that calls Charles Oliveira a quitter still is dumb and wrong. Yes. 
Yeah, I think that's fully established by this point. Uh, I, I think tr- the way that Charles was attacking in, in transition was like very reminiscent of what he was doing in the Dustin fight. But overall, I'm more impressed by it by this one because, I don't know, I think that Gaethje's like a harder matchup for Charles than Dustin is uh, in theory. In practice, it was kind of a harder fight because he got hurt more in this fight than he did against Dustin, but he wasn't forced to have as prolonged of situations where he was losing. So it's a weird thing where like, even though Dustin's probably more likely to win a round, uh, uh, like I, I don't think that makes it to where his matchup is better with Charles. Because we got to see everything that can happen in, the, in each matchup, basically. We get to see what happens if a guy just sparks Charles real hard, and then Charles, I mean, we've seen what happens. He just fucking gets up because the other guy can't capitalize on it. They really have to put him out, and you just it's hard to do that at this point. Like I don't see anyone in the division other than maybe Faziev who could even have a chance of sparking out Charles in the way that you'd need to to be able to avoid him. And and Charles is just so his recovery looked the best it's ever looked to me. He got hurt really badly by the second shot Justin landed, and the shot didn't even technically knock him down. Like I think that was the most concussive shot he's actually eaten in his time as a champion or time as a, a title fighter. And then he recovered immediately and just got back to his offense. So I, Charles just not conceding the back foot did a lot for him in this matchup. But anytime he did go on the back foot, he was doing like the, his normal shit. And by any time, I mean like 15 combined seconds of the fight because it was very short. But it was enough percentage of the fight where we got to mention it. Like Charles, he, he can he can do like a step back right hand and he has pretty good mechanics on it and good timing. So that's all you really need. You don't need like a cohesive back foot game if you're so insistent no. about being on the front foot. And he, he he knows what he needs to do, and he's always pushing his advantages. Because uh, he always has to get dropped in the first round of every title fight because he's a mad lad and wants to put on a show for the fans. <laughs> like, wh- wh- one of these days, he's going to be in a title fight, and he's just, he's going to get dropped in the first round, and we're going to be like, oh, he's fine. And one of these times, he's, he's not going to be fine. I feel like it's pretty much inevitable that the Dubronx era is going to end insanely and violently at, uh, could be anywhere between his next fight or like never. Yeah. I'd also like to float the idea that, um, Charles has kind of fought everyone in the division whose win condition is to blast Charles early. It's getting there. Well, I mean, it's like just Fiziev left because I don't know. RDA probably isn't going to be able to do that and probably isn't even going to make it to a title shot. Uh, Connor, it, I mean, I think most people would agree that Connor has a, a really rough matchup against Charles. Yeah, that is absolutely horrifying. Yeah, so really, anyone whose win condition against Charles is to win the way that it's looked, that has made Charles look kind of beatable in his, his last three fights, has already not won by that. So he's he's going to be fighting like Islam Makashev. Who Charles has a chance to just flawless victory and not even really take much damage. It could be a, it'd be a difficult fight. Like it would, they're both elite fighters, but Islam isn't the type of guy that should be knocking Charles down a bunch and like flatlining him. So Charles might not even take that much damage in that fight, win or lose. And then, yeah, I think it'd be more likely that Charles would just get uh, annoyed at Makachev like being really good at grappling and just like knock him out instead. Um, but who do you want to see Charles Oliveira fight? Because <clears throat> I think Dana White said he's looking to remake Benil Dariush versus Islam Makachev for a number one contender spot, which, I mean, that's a fight that I was really looking forward to when it was booked before. 
but at this point it's like how long is it going to take to rebook that fight and then for the winner to be ready for a title shot is that going to line up who do you want to see Charles Oliveira fight uh it, it's a weird one like cuz no one i think really deserves a title shot right now like Chandler just beat Tony Ferguson who is on a large losing streak so it kind of doesn't matter that much uh Fiziev needs another win RDA needs another win I think you could pretty much throw Benil Dariush or Makachev in there with the streak that they're on at the minute, depending on how timelines work out. But, but, yeah, but yeah, I guess it, I guess it would be good to just get that fight rebooked and, and really just get some clarity on a number one contender because you're right, there's just not really anyone who's really making that statement right now. Yeah, I guess Islam Makachev, but there's context to his win streak as well that makes it like not super guaranteed that he needs a, a title shot. But I do want to see that one next. I, I think that makes the most sense. I think Islam would beat the shit out of Benny. I love Benny, but you know, I think Islam deserves a title shot more so than anyone else, but also it would be nice for him to fight Benny before he fights Charles, you know. But Charles needs another fight soon, so he's probably just going to end up fighting Islam because Charles doesn't like to take time off as a champ, apparently. Yeah, and he probably lost a bunch of money with the whole weight mess fiasco, which who knows what was going on there. I don't really care. Charles Oliveira, Charles is the champ. Charles showed where that extra 0.5 pounds of weight is stored. It's in his fucking hands. And then where does Justin Gaethje go from here? Uh, I don't know. He should fight Benny, I think, if Benny doesn't end up getting rebooked with Islam. Because he did. He got dropped in this fight and he got hurt a little bit, but he didn't get like like rocked that bad. Like He, he, he can fight within the next six months and be fine. So I think him fighting Benny somewhat soon would be good because that's a guy that is a grappler, but probably is going to have a really tough time grappling him. And Gaethje just needs to practice fighting grapplers because he's fucking bad at it. I think if, if that's the what I I want for him, uh, if we're you trying Gaethje versus RDA, well that seems yeah, mean as could. well though. Yeah, yeah, it's that's a kind of similar thing where you know he's fighting an old guy that in his prime probably would have just easily grappled the fucking shit out of him. Uh, and even still might. But I I don't know. I want If we're trying to get Gaethje to improve, I want one of those two fights. If we're just trying to use Gaethje for what he is, I say Michael Chandler. Fuck it, why not? Just do Michael Chandler again. <laughs> yeah, Chandler's called him out. The rankings-wise, it makes sense. Five-round five main event this time. Why the fuck not? Yeah, rankings-wise, it makes sense. Uh, they're both action fighters who probably aren't going to ever be champions. So, but, uh, have them fight But also... Other. Also, at some point, like the the kind of round robin of top elite lightweights, at some at some point, have just got to start like fighting outside of that circle and fighting the uh, you know some of the new guys who are coming up in the division, like say the Fazeves or Amon Soyukian's looking fantastic recently. Mateusz Gamrot, you know, there's, there's a ton of guys actually really on the ascent at lightweight who need a big matchup. But no, he'll probably just fight Michael Chandler again or some shit. Anyway, fuck it. Co-main event. Uh, this fight was bad. Terrible, but genius by Carlos Sparza. And let me explain why I think okay. this is the best Carlos could have done. So, okay. 
really, there's no way that Carla could have won this fight in like a, a having a fight sense. Like she's not gonna out attrition or power. She, she doesn't have any physical advantages over Rose that she can leverage in the matchup without Rose being able to match it if she gets too aggressive about trying to press it. So if and it showed in the fight. Anytime Carla got too aggressive, Rose would actually land something if the exchange lasted past like six seconds, which it almost never did because neither threw like anything for the first two rounds. But Carla just started the first two rounds just being very negative and also not really... Like they were both being negative, so it's, it's not just on Carla. It, it was really... It was re- dependent on Rose fighting badly, but also that's kind of the only way that Carla could win anyways, no matter what adjustment she made to go into the matchup. That Carla is not going to become an elite body puncher at this stage of her career. She's not going to like learn a bunch of tools that would actually be difficult stylistically for Rose if you're trying to work with the intention of finishing Rose or, or like concisely beating her. So she just need her in the body like three times over the course of the fight and won. And and that was kind of like the only meaningful offense she landed in the fight, aside from like some tapping low kicks. But she just stayed away from Rose and didn't let Rose hurt her. And anytime Rose did actually sit down on something, it landed. And by anytime, I mean like the three times Rose tried. Can't really emphasize how much you should not watch this fight if you haven't seen it. But, you know, Carla just established a takedown threat. Uh, it got defended, but you know the threat being presented uh, more so than it was already implied to be there from before the matchup started. It, it, it's just kind of the best that Carla could have done, and and I feel like we have to respect that because she's the new fucking champ, and she's probably either gonna rematch Rose after this or fight like Joanna a- after Joanna Whaley. <laughs> yeah, so um, I agree with you too. An extent, at a certain point, uh, you have to just give someone props to winning a seemingly unwinnable matchup with just complete trash. And sometimes it's just like, well, I'm not going to be able to like beat this person by actually like being aggressive or doing any techniques or leading on them in any way. But if I can drag them into a fucking terrible staring match where nothing happens, then and it's a complete 50-50 where you can't really score the rounds on any kind of meaningful offense because nothing happens, then like it's basically a 50-50 chance that you get the decision, and it basically was, uh, and she got it. So, like, good for you, Carlos Barza. That fucking worked. Uh, Rose Namajunas. I mean, this was just a complete, it was absolutely baffling performance. It really seemed like she was trying to settle into a, championship style uh, where she wanted to be controlled and defensive and um, this showed why basically MMA fighters shouldn't do that because Rose Namajunas she's she's really good like she's just a fantastic offensive fighter everywhere she's got good technique she's a good boxer she's a good kicker she's a good submission grappler and uh like she just hits sneaky hard. She can actually put people away at 115. But the issue is she's not like enough of a master of ring craft or defense or optics to be able to have these fucking Guillermo Rigandau ass fights where you're like, okay, well, I landed three more jabs than, than my opponent. 
and my shorts are cleaner and she tried to take me down but it didn't work and I'm fine so I'm definitely winning and it's like there's a way too idealised version of how MMA scoring should work because you are letting the rounds be close enough to be decided on scoring criteria that like shouldn't even be a factor in an actual fight Look, because none of the grappling attempts should be scored as anything meaningful in this fight but it's, at some point like that is what except for the but, suplex yeah but everything else just got defended and like didn't lead to any kind of offense or extended control time but the judges are still going to score that in a fight where that little is happening and it's just like where, where is the urgency and when in the fourth round the corner are, t- are telling Rose Namajunas Oh, you're up four rounds. Just go out and have fun. What the? How can you be sure that you're up in a fight like that? And how are you not stressing to your fighter? You you are not doing enough to make this fight clear. You need to put a stamp on these rounds, or you need to go out and get a finish. Because Rose Namajunas could could have just beat the fucking shit out of Carla Esparza. I have no doubt that if she just like had the correct application of all the tools that she has in this fight, she could have just absolutely torched Carla Esparza. But you know. This is the issue with trying to have a defense, a, a defensive style like this in MMA. Like Anderson Silva could have these kind of fights because he was a master of bullshit optics and he would always hurt his opponent really badly at least once, even in all the really bad fights that he had. Yeah, it was. I, it, this felt like a fight where Rose didn't understand why Anderson Silva's style of having kind of not great fights worked because they were still entertaining. To a, like to a certain audience, uh, I love the Talos latest fight. Yeah, like that fight is fun based on your taste for fights. Whereas this fight was just objectively not enjoyable. And Rose was doing shit like you know, looking really angry and like keeping eye contact, staring at Carla between rounds, like trying to be weird. Like I, I don't know, it seemed like she was kind of drinking her own Kool Aid. Like she just thought she was like thug Rose. So she's just going to be able to fucking be tougher than her opponent and her opponent's going to be scared of her. And she's going to win on the optics of being such a bully that her opponent didn't even attempt offense. So she just didn't attempt offense on her own. So it felt like maybe she was just trying to use her aura as a finisher, but like, she doesn't have one to me. Like she, she finished, she finished Joanna, finished Whaley. Both three matches, she went to a hard-fought five-round decision. It, it, like, she isn't that much of like just a, a kill-you-in-one-shot person. She didn't do it to Andrade, who's one of the most hittable fighters she fought. That fight, She just has an insane chin and a bunch of cardio. You're saying she couldn't have done it to Carla Esparza if she just fought good, though? No, I definitely think she could have. I think it's exactly a matchup that would have worked fine for her to to look like that. But I think this is a fight where instead of flexing that ability to just fucking spark someone, cause she is a good hitter. Uh, she just chilled out and did nothing, uh, in, in, except for like a few tapping jabs. And it maybe if you watch the fight in like 25% speed and try and look at each individual land, you might be able to say, Oh, well, you know, Rose won by exactly four brain cells worth of damage dealt to the brain. You know, it, it, it it's just a pedantic ar- argument. There's no way that you can actually say that Rose did anything to win. And I haven't heard anyone uh, argue with the decision. Even like the most devout Rose fans, I just haven't heard any 
objections to her losing because it was such a bad performance. Yes, and I'm I'm glad she lost because you can't get away with having these kind of performances at the elite level in you know in what's supposed to be a good division. And um just like the most infuriating part was like I can kind of understand Rose being tentative coming like early in this fight just cuz of what happened in the first fight. But like when Carlos Barza took Rose down and got her back and Rose just did like the most aesthetic Granby roll I've ever seen and just effortlessly popped out of it and got to her feet. I was like, how at that point, like once you've been in the situation that lost you the first fight and dealt with it easily and it's no problem, how do you not just start opening up from, from a bit more from there and actually leading? I just don't understand the, the, the idea of fighters trying to go towards a more neutralizing style in MMA when they have the tools to be a good finisher or just a, a good offensive threat. You want to know a good way to, to make sure that you're not going to get into a vicious war with Justin Gaethje over five rounds? Drop him and submit him in three minutes? Sometimes the best defense is good offense. And, and like sometimes you just need to like go out there and fight. Like if you if you're going away from a fight saying no that was smart I took no damage then like that's that's kind that's kind of just like what fighting is yeah and and to further my argument that Carla did nothing wrong to anyone that's trying to criticize Carla for the fight uh, I think it was Rose's responsibility to go do things that are supposed to work in fights uh, in like an objective analytical sense like you know cut off the cage and you know like cut off exits with kicks. Uh, you know, intercepting knees to de- deter takedown threats. Like just things that are supposed to work, that are moves and, and techniques you're supposed to do. I feel like Rose could have gone and done some of that, but Carla Esparza, it was her responsibility to try and get a win. So she could not impose any sort of game plan that's actually going to beat Rose from like a fighting standpoint. She just kind of had to like cheese the Dark Souls boss. Like if you just get in, land a body knee, and then get out of the fucking clinch as fast as possible and run away, and then stand in the middle of the cage and let your opponent circle around you over and over and do their idle stance, uh, that that's all she had to do, and that's what she did. I, I have full respect to Carla for having the discipline to not get too aggressive about takedown attempts. She had worse cardio than Rose, arguably going into this fight uh, in theory. So her mitigating her like offense early makes complete sense from her perspective because what's she going to do in the first round spark rose like no she did everything she could and everything she had to do and got an easy win so credit carlos barza new new reigning champ yeah there was no reason to expect carlos barza to fight any other way than this like particularly if if rose was just going to be like that negative about closing distance like if 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 you're just really negative off the back foot and don't lead and just make Carla Esparza respect the gulf of distance in front of you, she can be tremendously uncomfortable leading. We saw that in the uh, Michelle Waterson fight. Which haven't you argued that Carla Esparza objectively lost that fight? Yeah, and I, I also want to make sure I uh, remember to mention Carla Esparza. I, I seem to be acting as if she's just a useless fighter. But she is a good fighter. It's just in the matchup. There's like so little she could actually do for, on like a game planning or little that we've seen 
You know, and she also looked way smaller than Rose in this fight, which she was the first time they fought. But Rose has gotten bigger. Yeah, but Rose has filled out since then. She she was really noodly in that fight. Yeah, like there there was a massive physical discrepancy in experience at the top level discrepancy because Rose has been at the top since 2017 or a little bit before that. And Asparza kind of wasn't at the top for the last like seven years and then just recently got back to the top. Oh, and also Carlos Barza is getting married this week. Yeah, yeah. So the smarter for her to get through this without taking any damage. It's going to be good for the wedding pictures. Okay. I'm done with that. Ran over. And uh, Michael Chandler versus Tony Ferguson. This was incredibly depressing, but in a completely different way to how I thought it was going to be. And at least in a way that was like fucking weird and cool and wacky and some, some, some shit. But yeah, I'm like previously I was kind of just at the acceptance stage of grief with Tony Ferguson. So for those of you who don't know me personally, who listen to this, I like me, who are you? Um, t- Tony Ferguson was the fighter who first got me really excited about MMA. Um, so it was just like his losing streak recently was incredibly dispiriting to me, particularly in the fight with Benil Dariush. I was just like, oh, he's just done. But he's just not even having moments anymore. He's just never going to look good again. And um, he clearly took some time off and tried something new. Came out looking like Tony Ferguson straight out of the tough house. Like boxer puncher Tony Ferguson. Early did a really good job of uh, punishing the uh, technical deficiencies with Michael Chandler's footwork because he always just relies on being insanely athletic and just really quickly leaping backwards out of distance to exit exchanges. Tony was kind of like initiating with his lead hand and then uh, catching Chandler, hopping back, just blasting him midair the same way he got finished by Charles Oliveira. You know, and then Michael Chandler like hit him with an insanely explosive double leg and Tony Ferguson still kind of, kind of saw some of the old uh, T-Ferg looks off of his back. Um, he was like throwing up some submissions that like weren't gonna work but were like annoying Michael Chandler um, and like cut Chandler with an elbow off of his back it was still around that he won despite spending half of it on his back I'm like oh my god T-Ferg's back uh, and then he got disgustingly decked with a silly front kick uh, immediately the first thing that got thrown in the second round and uh, he was out cold for like four minutes and it was, it was like uh, it was really sad to watch for me yeah, I had a different perspective because I do like Tony Ferguson a lot, but uh, just getting to see him look like a, I mean, still old, but still look like Tony Ferguson for a round before he got murdered for the first time. Because he's lost before, but he hasn't gotten like starched like this before. So it's just seeing this was, uh, it was like kind of the perfect send out for Tony to me. Because he got to have a round where he looked like himself and he made... A, Against a still elite lightweight as well. Yeah, he made a good fighter look not that good for a round because people expect him to be bad. And then Michael Chandler, full credit to him, he was just recognizing, oh, I'm letting this fight be harder than it needs to be. And then just walked up and fucking killed him because Tony ducks down a lot. Yeah. And it was hilarious shot selection because Michael Chandler is like 5'8", but a loose 5'8", uh, versus Tony Ferguson, who at one point was like 5'11", but I think he's gotten shorter. 
you know, it's weird because, like, you know, after the Benny fight, I was just like, oh, Tony Ferguson's just got to retire. And then, you know, in, in the first round, it's like, oh, he could uh, actually probably still beat a lot of, like, okay-ish lightweights. And, you know, he's like, what, 38, 39 now? He just got knocked out like that. He needs to take some time off and think about if he wants to do this anymore. But that is up to Tony Ferguson, not for me to say. And uh, Michael Chandler, you know, I'm not going to take anything away from him for, for that performance. It's like, Jesus fucking Christ, what a knockout. And uh, I just got to give Michael Chandler full respect for... Uh, for really maximizing this late career opportunity in the UFC because it was always like a meme that he would come out on social media and say that he was the worst matchup for Khabib Namagomedov and then instantly re-sign with a better deal with Bellator. Uh, But then like, I mean, people thought he was done when he got knocked out by Will Brooks, losing his belt to Patricio Pitbull, obviously a very good fighter, but a featherweight, uh, a small one. Just getting sparked in the first round by him. Um, just like his leg falling off against Brett Primus. I think a lot of people just like didn't have particularly high expectations for Michael Chandler's UFC run. And every fight has been insane. It's been crazy finishes, back and forth action fights. Gotta love Michael Chandler, even though he's a fucking cringe lord. Yeah, and this isn't even an analysis, but uh, Chandler came into the fight week in good spirits, and you could tell because they did a like one of the before the the event promo things where they had Michael Chandler looking at uh, like Twitter, or like a Twitter prompt that the UFC put up saying, "Oh, how would Michael Chandler order coffee?" And then it's people doing like a really wordy, inspirational thing to say, like, "I want a uh, soy macchiato." So they had Michael Chandler read that out, and that was pretty fun. So he he just seemed like he was in a good mood, which uh, he's been like really intense his last several fights, and they they lost. Whereas this one, he's just coming in like, yeah, I'm fighting fucking, I'm fighting a guy that has no chin, or, or his chin is massively degraded, and I hit really hard. I'm just gonna knock him out. So that's part of why he lost the first round or, or got fucked up the first round. But also, it's it's ultimately what won him the fight. So you got to give him credit. So yeah, people talking about him fighting Conor McGregor, I'd be down with that. I'd really like to see him fight Dustin Poirier right now. Whatever, get him in action fights. Or, as I said, actually get him with one of those guys who's coming up. Uh, I, I think we need to do Chandler, Connor. That makes sense. Uh, I, I think Chandler would kind of be hard for Connor, but Chandler still looks a little fragile in a lot of ways that Connor can exploit, even at this stage. Like, yeah, that is an incredibly volatile matchup. <laughs> yeah, because Connor. Whose leg falls off first. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a theory that Connor's chin is, is like kind of going, not gone, but I think he's always been more hurtable on the back foot. And Chandler is pretty insistent about being on the front foot, at least in spurts. But he also covers so much distance when he enters. And then there's the intangible of like not knowing how Connor's leg's going to be. He might just not be able to throw with power ever again. He might just be a pillow hitter uh, at coming back from the leg injury, which I don't expect, but you know, I, I've seen crazier shit. Yeah, OSP beat Shogun by decision. Uh, OSP still isn't quite shot enough like to have caught up to Shogun for him to be able to win the matchup. That's basically it. Yeah, OSP just kind of front-kicked uh, Hua who just tried to do 
hooks. And there was one part in the first round where pretty much the exact same sequence happened that got Shogun knocked out in the first fight. But this time, OSP even cut the same angle and threw the same shot selection. Uh, just didn't knock him out because he missed a little bit because he's old and slower. So it, it, you could, it, there was like a perfect example of how much older OSP is now, but he still won because uh, Hua looked so tiny and and he's just so slow and, and doesn't hit hard anymore. So yeah, fun fight. It wasn't even the worst fight on the card. No. But it was probably like the second worst fight. Uh, wasn't all, it was watchable. Uh, but in better news, Randy Brown versus Chaos Williams, that fight was fucking wacky. It was pretty wacky. Um, I kind of can't believe that Randy Brown didn't get knocked out. Because Chaos Williams, right, he's, just, he's so bad, but he has an insane chin and he hits really hard. And so it's like, how good do you have to be to not get dropped by Chaos Williams at some point? Unless you just get a horribly negative fire out of him when nothing happens like Michelle Pereira did. Yeah. Uh, uh, being faster than Chaos Williams is such an advantage because his mechanics are terrible. And if you just fluster him with speed and like flashy volume, he's going to start overthrowing and throwing from like really far away and over committing to shots that there was never a chance of landing. He'll start like slowing down his punches, trying to reach for your head, reach for your head. Like he does with uppercuts pretty much the entire fight. Like the way you want to counter someone that's dipping a, a bunch like Randy Brown with an uppercut isn't to throw a full power left hook and then try and uppercut under your left hook. It's to just like faint a left hook a little bit and then step in real hard and deep right uppercut. So he just kind of, he he just has so many mechanical flaws that his his corner in the third round was just hey punch and kick instead of just doing one or the other which is such like baseline advice and then he the rest of it was just saying fucking try harder you gotta go harder because he's not gonna tell yes Williams what Dean Thomas was saying that he should do which is left head head kick yes Williams I don't think he's ever thrown a left head kick why would he be able to just throw a left head kick counter to someone dipping to the side. Like the reason Randy Brown was dipping so hard is because there was no threat of a head kick. He should be able to throw a left head kick, though. He should be, but I don't think I've ever seen him do it. And he, he was like doing little tapping low kicks, but it wasn't really doing much, and Brown was doing pretty good about defending them because he's very fast. Uh, like, Chaos Williams hits hard, and I, I'm going to be real, I scored it for him, but it was very narrow because in the third round, he dropped Randy Brown. I'm basically scoring the the fight the way I expect judges to score that type of fight where the guy who got a knockdown in two rounds is going to win, even though he kind of got outlanded really hard in the third. So I, I just gave him that round cause he got a knockdown, but there's a good argument that Randy Brown also like came back and won the third in spite of being like kind of knocked down. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I think Randy Brown's cool. Yeah. He's, he, a, little, he's a little bit, good front a little bit weird. And, yeah. He's got a cool tall man game. Kind of like if Neil Magny was like way more athletic, but a lot less consistent. Yeah, he got as close to hurting Chaos Williams as I've seen him get. He didn't like actually hurt him because Chaos Williams is immortal. I'm I'm convinced. Yeah, and Randy Brown hits hard. Yeah, yeah. Like he, but he was like hitting him as shit that was bothering him. If if Randy Brown was 
more developed as a fighter than he is right now and had this matchup again, I think he has the potential to win by KO. But he's just developing in a very strange, nonlinear way, as fighters are known to do. Yeah, and then Trinaldo versus Danny Roberts. Oh, yeah, this was a sick fight. Uh, like, we were saying this was probably going to be one of those weird fights where two southpaws are just like, oh my god, how do I get past the lead shoulder? This is fucking bullshit. And it kind of was like that for a little bit the first round. But then uh, I think uh, in that situation, Trinaldo just having the more educated lead hand as a southpaw really paid off for him in this fight. Better ring craft. Yeah. And yeah, he was fucking Danny Roberts up with it. Yeah, his, his position was a lot better. Yeah, um, and he people were giving him a lot of criticism for like constantly like grabbing clinches and like uh, going for snap downs and stuff whenever he had Danny Roberts hurt. But like Trinaldo is old as fuck. He doesn't want to sell out for a finish on a guy he thinks is probably going to be pretty tough, and then like be tired as fuck because that'll happen to Trinaldo. Yeah, he's he's doing what he needs to do, and he's still getting wins over decent fighters at the tender age of seventy-seven. Yeah, that was neat. If you like Ronaldo, watch that one. Yeah, he's doing it for the old Brazilians. The Sunsau should just go up to welterweight. Uh, Mace Chiasson versus Norma Dumont was not very interesting, but Mace Chiasson won. So, Mace Chisson is now the number one contender at 145. Although, uh, this was also a catch weight because Norma Dumont missed weight by half a pound. Yeah. On, on the fucky scale. Yeah, I, I think Norma Dumont kind of fell into the trap that a lot of fighters can run into if they get into a main event really early, where they win it and then they think, oh, I'm a five-round elite fighter now. I need to like be calm and, and like calculated all the time and then they get put in a three-rounder on like a, a pay-per-view event and then they just fucking lose because they, like they they are used to trying to sustain themselves and she had about as bad of five-round experience as you can have with Aspen Lad. Yeah, I mean it was really easy to overrate the performances that Norma Dumont was having that were basically absolute target practice against uh, Aspen Lad and a uh, Felicia Spencer who had gone capital T technical and uh, didn't push any of her advantages. Uh, women's 135 is a barren wasteland as it is, and women's 145 is a non-division. Moving on, Brandon Royville versus Matt Schnell. This was fucking sick, and I was completely wrong about this one. I was just being like, I, I, I was like, oh yeah, Royville probably has to just like kind of try to bomb on Matt Schnell and probably maybe try to avoid grappling with him. And that was like the opposite of what happened. Yeah, it was very out of character of Matt Schnell to hit with any sort of stopping power and like aggressively try and hurt his opponent. I mean, you but said he was going to look like a speed up. athlete in this fight. He did, yeah. yeah, he definitely did. He looked much faster, but to his own detriment because it gave him so much success that uh, he just ran himself into getting guillotined. Yeah. Um shouldn't assume that you're easily being Brandon Royville just because you've hurt him on the feet. He's fucking wacky. I, I, I didn't expect him to be able to submit Match Now. Match Now's a really good grappler. But yeah, he, I think he just got a little too excited when he had Brandon Royville hurt. And I mean, credit to Brandon Royville. It was, it was a really nice guillotine. Yeah, and uh, 
then the prophecy was foretold for Blago Ivanov versus Marcos Pajero de Lima because Blagoy won by decision because he can't get knocked out. That's the extent of the fight. And Marcos Ruggiero de Lima can only knock, can only win by knockout. There was absolutely nothing else that was ever going to happen. Some people saying de Lima won. Who cares? Oh, Andre Fialio continues to add to the uh, re okayification of welterweight. Just trying to stay busy and taking fights against kind of outmatched guys. And yeah, he got it, got it done in a couple minutes and got a nice knockout, picked up a payday, and apparently already has a fight scheduled for the next pay-per-view. Yeah. Good for Fialio. I hope he rematches Michelle Pereira. Yeah? Yeah, why not? I, mean, I think he can win that. But I'd like to see him fight uh, Sergei Kondoshko. Okay. We saw him pick up a good win a couple weeks ago. I, th- I think we, we need to start... We need to start separating the, the actually good welterweights and getting them up there. And then the other fights happened on the card. Only one that was like that good was Lupita Godinez versus Ariana Carnelosi. I think Lupita's pretty good. Uh, CJ Vergara looked smart and uh, handled a guy that was more athletic than him pretty well. Uh, Journey Newsome did a wheel kick at the end of the round and beat a guy that did not look UFC ready. Uh, and uh, Tracy Cortez uh, won a very bland decision. Okay, well, that, that's us done on this card. Uh, it was a little bit of a mixed bag of the card, but the fights that it delivered definitely delivered. So yeah, if you enjoyed this podcast and all of the other great stuff that the fight site does, please consider supporting us on Patreon, where a pledge of just $3 gains access to a huge library of really great analytical fight content. Just absolutely. Like hundreds of hours of the stuff and then $5 gains access to a Discord server where we have a great community interesting fight fans where we have great discussions and Christian and myself are very active in the chats and in the voice chat where we regularly host our fight night watch parties we all get together and watch the fights it's always good fun come hang out, support the fight site this has been the Forbidden Technique podcast, you can catch us in just a few days where we're going to be previewing the upcoming UFC fight night headlined by a light heavyweight top contenders bout between former champion Jan Blahovic and Alexander Rakic, which is maybe kind of a whack fight, but um, uh, it's a sneaky okay card and should be fun. We'll see you then. Peace. Yep. Nope.